All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I think if there's been one gift to humanity from the world of video games and video game research, it has been that we better understand now a lot of ways that non-pharmaceutically we can alter our brain state and then we can alter our mood. That is a gift. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And on this episode, are there good and bad games? Is it ever okay to play that game that you feel like is a total time suck? What kind of limits should we put on ourselves? What about our kids? Are they learning something from all those hours with that PlayStation? And if you're not much of a gamer, why would you ever want to get into playing? As many of you who listen to this show know, I am not much of a gamer. But after talking to this woman, I don't know, I might start picking up the console. Because this woman says that video games are the new self-help. I am Jane McGonigal. I'm the Director of Game Research and Development at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto, California. Okay, the Institute for the Future. Yes, this is a real place. And what they try to do is blow people's minds with ideas about how the world could be different with new technology, new models of thinking. And Jane joined the group after she finished her Ph.D. in performance studies at Berkeley. She became an expert in how games, specifically video games, can make us more imaginative, smarter, both as individuals and collectively, as communities, as societies. So I actually met Jane over the summer at an event and um, I really liked her because I was like, I said the word gamification and she looked at me and wrinkled her nose with disgust. And she was like, that is not what I do. And I was like, okay. And after I found out what she does do, I knew I had to have her on to really explore more deeply some of her philosophies about not just anxiety and coping mechanisms, but actually how video games can make us better, more powerful people. What I'm really interested in is looking at the neurochemical changes that happen when we're in a state of play. And I try to help people figure out how to create those positive emotions and that resilient way of thinking to real-life problems. You don't have to turn something into a game in order to activate that super-empowered, hopeful mindset to be better able to control your attention or to be more determined in the face of extreme challenge, better able to handle pressure. You just need to understand how your brain works when you play games and what are the sort of secret hacks to doing that in everyday life. And when I make a game, 
I'm trying to do that for people. But you can also learn to do it for yourself. You've talked about in both of your books, Super Better and Reality is Broken, about how games, specifically video games, can be linked to coping with depression and anxiety. Can you explain Mm -hmm. what is going on in our brains? Mm. Well, my favorite research finding from the hundreds of years that human beings have been studying playing games is from Brian Sutton Smith, who's a renowned psychologist of play. And he once said that the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is depression. Mm. And that is true both at an intuitive level. You know, when we play games, we're optimistic about our ability to improve and get better. We have a lot of physical energy. We have access to positive emotions like excitement and pride in our accomplishments and joy and curiosity and wonder. And we have an easier time reaching out to other people when we're playing a game and they're playing it with us. We have common ground and shared attention. When you reverse all of those things, it's literally the clinical definition of depression. But more recently, FMRI research has shown us that at a neurological level, depression and video game play in particular are literally opposite. So the same two regions of the brain that tend to be chronically understimulated when we're depressed are chronically hyperstimulated when we play video games. And that to me is one of the most important things to understand right now because one, it explains why many people self-medicate depression and anxiety mm. with video games. And it can help us understand maybe ways that they could use games more effectively so that they're not just avoiding reality or they're not creating addictions for themselves. And it can also help us in stressful situations uh, if we need that extra boost of motivation and optimism and the ability to learn and improve. But I guess I worry that often we use video games to numb ourselves. So playing Mm -hmm. a game to sort of keep my mind occupied so I'm not ruminating. That makes sense to Mm -hmm. me. But then there's another part of me that's like, well, why don't you just focus on why you feel so uncomfortable with this decision and try to work through that? Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. I think it depends on how you feel about the source of anxiety or depression. If you practice cognitive behavioral therapy, which a lot of Super Better draws on, one of the beliefs of that system is that you don't have to take all of your thoughts and feelings seriously, that just Mm. because they pop up in your mind doesn't mean that they are real or matter. So just because your brain is telling you that you're upset about something or something feels bad, I mean, it's not necessarily something that requires your time and energy and effort. You can choose to ignore it, which is also the same principle of meditation. The thought comes into your head. You say, thank you, mind, and I'm going to push it aside. I think there are a lot of practices from cognitive behavioral therapy to meditation that, like gameplay, allow you to decide that not all thoughts and feelings require you to engage with them and that you – you can choose That's which funny. ones you want to engage with. So let's dive into that idea of using games to not to self-medicate, as you put it, or to escape, but to be um, purposeful or productive in some way. How do we know the difference? Can you give us some examples? Mm-hmm. So for the Super Better book, I did a meta-analysis of almost 500 peer-reviewed studies looking at how gameplay affects your real-life wellness. And looking at these studies, you'll find that half of them say things like, 
video games lead to depression, gameplay linked to social isolation, video games correlated with poor grades, more likely to use drugs. And then the other half says exactly the opposite. You'll see studies that say frequent video gameplay linked to greater happiness, stronger relationships, less drug use, better grades in school, more career advancement. And they're all great studies. They're all peer-reviewed. And the the really puzzling paradox for many game researchers and game designers over the past decade is how do you make sense of this, this divergent body of research? Right, yeah. And it turns out that the number one indicator – of whether you will go down the track of games are not making your life better, maybe they are having a negative impact on your mood and your performance in your real life versus games are making you better and you feel empowered and you have better relationships. The one difference between those two paths is whether you see games as not being meaningfully related to reality. Mm. Do you think that games are an escape? Are you a different person when you play? Are you in a different reality when you play. If you look at games that way, then you tend to use them as a crutch. You are not able to bridge the gap between a game world and your real-life challenges. And so the worse that your real life gets, the more you play games. And it's this downward spiral, not good. And I guess for me, like I'm hoping that you can help me understand this, is that I have never um, not played a game to escape. Um Mm-hmm. Long-time listeners here know that I had an issue with Two Dots. I have to admit that I found a s- sort of similar puzzle-like game. I don't even know the name of it. It looks like Tetris. It's about, like, building these long lines of blocks. And I found it mm-hmm. incredibly relaxing. But also, I played it while I was on a long vacation with my entire extended family. And part of it was, like... Get me mentally the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go mm-hmm. put these blocks together. And I took it off mm-hmm. my phone when I got back because I could see that anytime I was like tired or stressed out, I wanted to play the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is a lot of great research to suggest that you can play these very convenient video games for very short bursts, change your state of mind, change your mood, give you more physical energy, and then bring you back to your everyday life in a more positive state. And so what I try to do around games like that is share with people what the research says and encourage you to set a timer, play for that duration, and then go back to the rest of your life Mm -hmm. with this improved focus or this zen-like state. And the amount of gameplay time is 10 minutes for certain effects and 20 minutes for other effects. So if you're trying to calm your mind and body and return to the world with more mindfulness, 20 minutes is the amount of gameplay time that's recommended. If you're just trying to stop an anxiety attack or if you're ruminating on thoughts that are making you really upset and maybe you're replaying a conversation or something uh, traumatic that happened, 10 minutes of gameplay is recommended for that. Hmm. 10 minutes is recommended for squashing cravings. So if you're trying to not eat something or not smoke, studies have found that 10 minutes of certain types of games, exactly the type you describe, like Tetris or Two Dots, are really effective for that. But you have to know what these doses of gameplay are, and then you have to try them out the same way that you would, you know, when you take two ibuprofen, Hmm. you're not going to take 
20 or 200, you self-regulate. And and so if you try self-regulating with gameplay, you'll find that you can have a lot of benefits. I mean, is this kind of the new self-help in a way, this idea of using technology and the knowledge that we have about how our brains work to sort of change our mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I I think if there's been one gift to humanity from the world of video game research, it has been that we better understand now a lot of ways that non-pharmaceutically we can alter our brain state and then we can alter our mood. And that is a gift. It's very similar to a lot of spiritual practices or traditional wisdoms, but it's a tool that we can use and it's affordable and it doesn't have side effects, but also you can self-experiment. You can play this, you know, Japanese cat collecting game that I really like, you know, uh, Katsune. I've heard about it. It's, it's so cute. Um, maybe that's your game because you like collecting little cats. Um, maybe you want to, you know, blow things up, whatever. Um, find your game. See what its effects are. There are strategic things you can do with them, and it is very much, I think, in the line of self-help. You actually did make a game that helped you to bounce back from this horrible concussion you had. Are you still doing that? Can you give us examples of other things that you're building right now and how they might help people? Sure. Yeah, well, that game, Jane, the Concussion Slayer, that's what became Super Better, um, which, you know, I renamed it because people started adapting it for things other than concussion. And they were using it to try to get over bad breakups or lose weight or find a new job and, and all sorts of things. And that simple set of rules that I created for myself to giving myself quests to do each day and connecting with allies and uh, having a notion of power-ups that I could collect and bad guys I could battle, that became an app that still exists and almost a million people have used it to try wow. to tackle real-life health and depression and anxiety and the personal changes they want to make. Okay, when we come back, using games to deal with our fear of flying. Yes, I have it. Um, And whether Jane believes in game addiction. Plus, what to say to kids who never want to peel their eyes away from a screen. Never say something like, stop playing and go do something real. Or stop wasting your time and do something that matters. Because when you say things like that, you're sending them down the other path, the dark path that we don't want. More with me and Jane McGonigal in just a minute. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Anoush Zamarodi, and I'm talking to Jane McGonigal. She is Director of Game Research and Development at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto, California. And she's an all-around cool woman. So a lot of my listeners have written with questions about um, being worried that their kids are playing too many video games. How can a parent Mm -hmm. then tell the difference between what is actually something that they should let their kid do and something Mm -hmm. that they really should put limits on? Ask them this question. What have you gotten better at since Mm -hmm. you started playing this game? You don't want to hear things like, I got better at slinging this virtual bird or I'm really good at using this kind of power up. That's literal. That's too concrete. But abstract things like, 
I don't give up when things are tough or I am willing to try lots of strategies. I'm, I'm super creative in that way. If they can talk about these abstract things, those are skills and resources and abilities that persist in their mind outside of the game world. And you as a parent have a really important role in cultivating that mindset and cultivating that identity. The two things you need to do are, one, do not shame your children about the games they play. Never say something like, stop playing and go do something real or stop wasting your time and do something that matters. Because when you say things like that, you're sending them down the other path, the dark path that we don't want, where they think games have nothing to do with reality, where they don't mm. matter, where they're trivial. Don't shame them about games or they will develop that escapist mindset. Instead, you want to talk to them about, you know, wow, that level looks hard. You know, what kind of skills do you need to be good at that level? And ask them what they're getting better at. That conversation alone can really transform a young person in terms of, their ability to bring all of these gameful strengths to school, to sports, to their personal relationships, and to their self-concept. So do you believe in the concept of being addicted, quote-unquote, to games? You know, addiction science is going through an incredible, radical reinvention right now. If you look at the past decade, we started to believe that certain substances were addictive, like cocaine or heroin, and they did something to our brain and they kind of broke our brain. And then we started to look at technology as being like an addictive substance. But now the sort of disease model of addiction is going away. And the prevailing wisdom is that addiction is just the brain working the way it needs to work, the way it's evolved to work, to be goal-oriented and motivated to achieve positive outcomes, but it gets stuck on one particular stimulus. Mm. And for some people, that stimulus is a physical substance like a drug. For some people, it's a person when you're falling in love. When you become a new mom, your baby is that sole goal that you are focused on and the reward loop of the brain gets fixated on. Some people do get that loop fixated on video games. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with your relationship with that piece of technology. What you need to do is you need to expand your brain's awareness of other things that activate it in the same way. Mm, so video yeah. games are challenging problems that you wrestle with and you get to be creative and you get to learn things and collaborate with others. And if you think that's what's cool about video games, not how escapist they are, but all of these cool things you get to do, that will activate the brain in the same way as the video game and you'll be drawn to it and you'll have goal orientation that expands beyond the game. So that's that's what I recommend uh, individuals who feel addicted to games do. So can you give me some examples of like specific games and maybe what they can do if we play them with purpose or with a positive goal in mind? So I guess I'm thinking of like Minecraft. That's mm -hmm. become sort of the epitome of this idea of a creative game that parents mm -hmm. feel they don't need to put limits on and that it's positive. What are some other examples of ones? Any game that is genuinely challenging is a wonderful game to develop these skills and abilities. 
you know, esports is a really popular thing now. These games that are incredibly strategically challenging and also require a lot of real time coordination with your teammates and fast thinking and fast decision making. So games like League of Legends, any game like that has these benefits because what you're really trying to do is build up your ability to wrestle with things that you don't understand and to experiment and to get learning resources that you need and get mentored and keep trying and don't give up when it's hard and get better. Even the shoot 'em ups like Call of Duty or something? So I don't personally play games where I have to try to kill creatures. That's just not my thing. But for people who are drawn to those games, there is uh, quite a lot of evidence that when you play them with people you know in real life, whether you're on a team or you're playing online with friends, there are so many benefits in Mm -hmm. terms of the strength of your relationship, your ability to process a lot of information quickly and make better decisions under pressure faster. So there's cognitive benefits, there's social benefits. We don't see those benefits in the first-person shooter world when you are mostly playing against people you don't know. And that's because there is one negative effect associated with it, which for shorthand you might call it testosterone poisoning, huh. <laughs> um, which which means that you're, when your opponent in a game is somebody who you don't know who they are, you kind of anonymize them. And this is the same thing that leads to flame wars on the internet and a lot of you know, vicious trolling. When you don't know the other person, you're not going to have any social consequences for being a poor sport when you win. It creates a set of emotions um, that kind of jack up your testosterone, make you more unpleasant to be around for hours afterwards, less kind to people that you perceive as weaker than yourself. You're more likely to be insulting or aggressive. And this continues after you've been playing. Hmm. Um, So I always say if you love these games, you need to spend at least half of your time or more playing with people you know. So on the opposite end of the spectrum, or at least in my mind, is something like Candy Crush. Have you ever used that? Do you play or used it? Played (laughs) it? Have I used it? I'm on level... 894 or so. Woo! Uh, have you I, used it? I play for probably five minutes every day. I mean, I think I have been doing that for several years now. I often do it at night before I go to sleep, which is counter to a lot of popular advice that you hear now, which is put your phones away for at least 45 minutes before you try to go to bed because the blue light from the phone yeah. interferes with sleep cycles. I don't find that to be true for myself. Um, I use the game to turn off. So I'm, you know, I'm a relatively new mom. I have 18-month-old twins. They keep me busy all day, even when I'm trying to work from home. They go to sleep. (laughs) They're asleep by like 7.30. Then I go right into work mode. Work, work, work. Busy, busy, busy. Getting everything done. Totally excited. Planning. And then I have to go to sleep. And so I have to get my brain switched from, you know, super productive planning, slightly anxious because that's how I work best mode, to not having thoughts in my head about work and what I have to do. And Candy Crush is one of those games. Yeah, it's a transition and a level or two of that. And my brain is effectively switched away from things that might otherwise have me, you know, lying awake, planning Jane McGonigal, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. What's your jam, people? 
I am getting ready to go on a crazy long flight for a podcast festival in Australia, and I am going to put some old-fashioned Tetris on my phone. Guilt-free, because that is what Jane recommended. I hate flying. And she was like, you know what? Why do you have to be in misery? Stick some Tetris on there and distract yourself. All right, so I'm going to do it. And actually, we are going to put a list of Jane's prescriptions on our website. You know, like which game is good for unwinding or whatever. And we want to hear if you have a game that you use, I don't know, as therapy or to replace cigarettes or to learn to work creatively with others or whatever else you do with a game other than escape reality. Because as we learned, that's not the goal, right? So tweet us or find us on Facebook at Note to Self. You can email us at note to self at WNYC.org and we will put your recommendations in our newsletter. Do you subscribe to our newsletter? Because if you do, you know that it's pretty fun and awesome and actually useful. If you haven't subscribed yet, um, please do join us by signing up at notetoselfradio.org. It's really quick and easy to sign up. Our newsletter is smart, funny, never spammy. I promise, because I know you guys will tell me if it is. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Jenna Cagle, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Mithley Rao, Megan Kunane, and Matt Poynton for their help this week. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Thanks for listening. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game!